The gospel is good news. Amen. We got one amen. I came to tell you today about a dead man. John the Baptist was executed by Herod Antipas, Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. As a leader of that region, Herod was accustomed to getting his way. But John was a truth-teller in troubled times. He trumpeted the coming Messiah, the true King of Israel, when he told Herod that there was a, a, an authority higher than him, higher than Imperial Rome behind him, Herod threw him in jail. And there John died ahead of his time. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I want to fill in the story and circumstances uh, behind John's death. If you were to go to a funeral, you wouldn't just hear that somebody died. You would hear about their life and their impact. So let's rewind the tape a little bit um, and look at kind of where else we see John in Scripture. You know, we were um, a month past Christmas. In Advent season, we did hear about John from the Gospel of Luke, his, the circumstances of his remarkable birth and his family of origin. We had an angelic visitation, a dumbstruck dad, a bouncing baby boy born of a barren woman well advanced in years. We, we see in the other Gospels that John explodes on the scene, a voice crying out in the wilderness. The Gospel of Matthew gives us three episodes, three glimpses into the life of John. First being what Emily just read to us. We go out to the Judean wilderness, and there we meet a man. Dressed in camel's hair, well-worn leather belt around his waist. His hands and arms and face, tanned and weathered and prematurely aged under the hot Judean sun. I imagine his beard matted, sticky with honey, his voice raspy with wilderness air. When he spoke, there was a little locust leg lodged between his two front teeth. He shouts. What does he shout? He shouts, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told of one who was coming, whose sandals he was not worthy to carry, who, while John baptized with water, the one coming would baptize with the Spirit and with fire. John spoke confidently of a God who was about to act to bring the redemption of his people. He called them to repent. To repent means to turn, right? If you've been in church for any length of time, that's in our vocabulary, right? Repentance. It means no more business as usual. James 1.27, a verse that's very important to me. 
uh, is true religion is to care for widows and orphans and to keep yourself from corruption. I think that that kind of encapsulates John's call. You know, again, if we look at Luke's gospel, we see him call people to just relationships. Um, care for widows and orphans. John tells the gathering crowds, if you've got food to share, share it. If you have two coats, share one with someone who has need. He tells tax collectors that are coming, don't over-collect, collect only what you're required. He tells Roman soldiers, you know, non-Jewish imperial officials who came to the desert to hear him, that they were to not extort money and not accuse people falsely. Living, you are to, we are to live with just relationships, treating people how they should be treated, caring for vulnerable among us, and not pressing our rights and that we're given. And he calls us to keep ourselves from corruption, um, to be set apart, holy there for God's own use. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and we should repent and live like the upright, just citizens of the kingdom of God. And just after the passage that Emily read, Jesus wanders into the wilderness and asks John to baptize him. And as he does, the Spirit descends like a dove and you hear the divine voice declare from heaven, This is my Son whom I love. And I am well pleased with him. The next time we meet John in Matthew, he's in chapter 11. Alone, chained to the wall in a prison. Gone is the confidence that God is going to act. He had believed that God was about to do something decisive to bring about change. And then he is there, chained to the wall, wondering, did I get it right? John's disciple, he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask this heart-rending question. Are you the one that was to come? Or am I... Or are we to expect another? Ooh. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Jesus, you said you came to give us abundant life. And my life is anything but. The scent of death is on me. I'm stuck here. I can't move. Did I get it right? Is this God's call on my life? I think Jesus heard all that and he sends back to John these words of assurance. Tell John. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words... God's kingdom has come. I'm doing a brand new thing. People are experiencing salvation, newness of life. They are becoming free from sin. 
And the reign of God is here and it's coming. And then the third time we see John is in this passage that I want to focus on. Everything I've said so far is prequel. And this is where I want us to, to focus in on. Oh, I'm not in on Matthew. Here we go. Won't you stand for the reading of God's Word? Nothing magical about standing. And if you, if you are not able to, please sit down. A lot of times when we listen to a preacher, it's, we can sit passively and go to sleep. But this is the very Word of God. So we stand because our ears work better while we're standing. At the time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the reports about Jesus. He said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. Where he has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that a request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Reading from the Gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may be seated. This passage opens and closes with two reports. Herod hears the reports about Jesus. And then it closes, that's verse 1 and 2, right? And verse 12, Jesus hears the reports about Herod and what he had done to John. I don't know... We're kind of a literary crowd here. I don't know if any of you have read the novels of George Martin. I know you have. Um, maybe some of you would admit to watching the HBO show with too much sex and violence. I watched the first season, um, and then it kind of disturbed me a little bit. But it's, it's kind of... That story is, you know, a bunch of power-hungry people trying to get power, trying to, you know, you have messed up relationships, you have a few honorable folks, but most everybody is just 
grabbing at power. And when I, when I read that or know what I know of that story, kind of reminds me of the Herods. Um, the Herods were not good people. Um, we know the story of Herod the Great from our you know Christmas and Epiphany. Herod the Great, or as I like to call him, Herod, the not-so-great jerk face who kills babies. Am I right? Yeah, the story that the, the Magi come to him and, he, and Herod feigns worship, but what he really wants to do is wipe out this would-be Messiah. And when, they, when the Magi get wise and go the other way, he has all the babies in Bethlehem killed so that he's covered. That was not out of character for Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great had killed a sister, killed one of his wives, killed a couple of his sons. Anybody that kind of threatened his reign, his power, he wiped out. Um, he wrote, rewrote his will six times, naming different ones of his sons as heirs. The final one was ratified after his death by Theodore Augustus, dividing his kingdom among three sons. You had Archelaus, the Herod Archelaus, king of, uh, it was Ethnarch. Yeah, of Judah. You had Herod Philip II in the north, and you had our antagonist, Herod Antipas, in Galilee and Perea. Another son of Era, uh, another son of Herod, one of one of his original heirs that fell out of favor, was also named Herod Philip, not the Herod Philip that was ruling in another province, but a private citizen in Rome. One day, Herod Antipas was visiting his brother in Rome and saw his, this Herod Philip's wife, Herodias, who was very beautiful, and he said, she will be mine. Oh yes, she will be mine. And he divorced his first wife and married Herodias. Herodias herself was the daughter of another son of Herod, um, Herod Aristobulus. Um, and so she was actually Herod Antipas's niece. Are, is anybody confused yet with all the Herods? This is, this is what it comes down to. Herod was both... Herodias was both Herod Antipas' niece and his brother's wife, and he married her anyway. If that seems a little bit icky, you're not alone. Matthew wrote his gospel for a Jewish audience. Um, any lover of Torah would be scandalized by the behavior of these rulers. Leviticus 18, if you ever you know, 
can't sleep one night and you need a good read, read Leviticus 18. It tells you of all the close family members that you should not have sexual relationships with. Um, and it's pretty clear that incest is bad. If you, if you get nothing from this sermon, just know incest is bad. <laughs> Herod ruled Galilee, Galilee and Perea. He even named himself a patron of the temple in Jerusalem. But he could not handle anyone telling him what to do. How dare John say what I could, can and cannot do in the bedroom. So he threw him in prison. John a righteous man and a prophet was well loved and respected by the Jews that Herod ruled so killing him might be political suicide even though killing him would be what the Herods were kind of good at and so he had him bound and put in prison instead Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Herodias did not like that John denounced her. Felt he was a blight that needed to be removed. And I think she hatched this plan. This is how it went down. Herod had a birthday party. had a house full of guests. Herodias knew well her husband Herod's hormones. He had his, her own daughter dance for him and his guests at the party. Now, some of you grew up in a religious context where dancing was frowned upon and it would be in some, some of our history. You know, because it could lead to playing cards. The reason for that is that there was an emphasis on holy living, being saved, sanctified. Dancing was just an excuse to be too close to the opposite sex or at least ogle them, so we shouldn't dance. Right? That's kind of how the argument when this would be a good proof text for that because there's all kinds of ickiness incestuous ickiness because by the way now yeah, well, I'll say this in a second here is that this stepdaughter whom Herod is lusting after would be the daughter of his niece and his brother so it would also be his own niece, double incest ick factor. This is just messed up. And I don't think we're supposed to infer from this passage that Herod was a great patron of the arts. That he was wanting to help his stepdaughter open a dance school. And... 
was lustful, plain and simple. He promises her anything she wants. The Gospel of Mark adds up to half of his kingdom. Never mind he couldn't actually give away half his kingdom. It was given to him and he ruled as a servant of imperial Rome. But this is a man transfixed by desire. So he offers anything she wants. On her mother's urging, she says, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. By Jewish law, even making an oath that stupid would not be bounding. He would not be bound by it. If you make an oath that causes you to do something immoral or you know, cause harm to somebody, um, you had good reason to not follow through. And there wasn't a Jew that would fault him for stopping. Jews would not execute people without a trial. But Herod was king and above the law. How dare anyone tell him what he could do and cannot do in his own palace? He would lose face with his dinner guests and if, if he didn't fall through. And besides, Herod wanted to kill John anyway. And that, my friends, is how John came out ahead. Herod gave the order. John was beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter, paraded through the party, and presented to the daughter of Herodias who gave it to her mother. John's disciples came and gathered their master's body, buried it, and, rep and reported to Jesus what had happened. When Herod hears the reports about Jesus, he says to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. This is more than a guilty conscience. This is not Herod as Macbeth trying to clean the blood off of his hands. Herod was afraid. You know, N.T. Wright argues that the Jewish expectation in the first century was that God would vindicate a righteous sufferer. I think Herod is worried that John is back, raised from the dead, vindicated by God as the Messiah that would depose him and the, his Roman overlords. Jesus received the news of John's death and he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. I began this sermon with two sentences in awkward juxtaposition. I told you that the gospel is good news and that I came to tell you about a dead man. What, what, 
What in this passage is good news? None of you would say that your life was transformed by Herod killing John. Like, you know, when Herod killed John, it changed my life. I'm a better person for it. No. So much of this doesn't seem like good news at all. It's terrible news. It's the worst news. It's not even news. It's the way things are. Before I'm done, I want you to hear good news. But first, let's just hear the news because I think that's in this passage because I think it has resonance for us. As I read this passage, I think those in power get what they want. And we are lucky to live in a country where every president in recent memory, including our current president, then claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we should pray for our leaders that they would lead with discernment and wisdom, that they would wield their power with justice and righteousness. But we also need to know that privilege has its membership. And membership has its privileges, and those who are in power are not always motivated by the common good, but they're motivated out of self-interest, out of getting what they can out of life. That's the news. Verily? Wow. More old news. The innocent suffer and they die. Taking an unpopular stand could get you killed. We don't live in a place, in a culture where there are too many martyrs. But you might lose your job for blowing the whistle on something that's just not right. You may be rejected by family and friends. You may simply just fall victim to a random act of violence. In a broken, fallen world, there is no guarantee that will, people will treat you with justice and equity. More bad news in this passage. Nameless girls get used and exploited for the benefit of others. Herod's daughter is not named here. Um, we know from other ancient sources like the Jewish historian Josephus that her name was probably Salome. Um, but the Gospels don't name her. If the book of Matthew were a movie, they would have to pay her extra because she has a speaking part. She's not just like the dinner guest din in the background. She's not just an extra. But if you looked her up on IMDb, it would just say Herodias' daughter and she'd be credited as dancing girl. In our own culture, nameless girls get used. That's true in our world, in our country, as Chris said, in and around the Super Bowl, 
it's true in the city of Bellingham. Pornography and prostitution uses women. And they are cast aside, used for pleasure, their personhood unimportant. That's terrible news. That's the way of the world. That is business as usual. John the Baptist's words to us from the start were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom that here that is here. And life can be different. And so the good news is here, wrapped up in the bad. As Chris said earlier, the tension of that. John's death in the Gospel of Matthew is a bit of foreshadowing. Jesus will, in the not-too-distant future, find himself standing before the same Herod who will demand miracles from him like they were party tricks and will find no fault with him but will send him on to Pilate, another ruler afraid of the crowds, and Jesus will die as a Roman criminal. Matthew 17, Jesus talking to three of his disciples about John, calling him the Elijah that was to go ahead, said, I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. As with John, so with Jesus. But Jesus was the righteous sufferer who would die for the sins of the world. And through his death, we have life, we have healing, we have freedom from sin, and we have hope. And our hope is not business as usual where the powerful get their way, where the innocent suffer, and the vulnerable are made into victims. This will not, cannot last. Herod Antipas's own reign ended with him in exile. You know, Josephus again tells us that many actually thought it was punishment from God for what he did to John, a righteous man. So for this very instance here, that's what people abroad believed. The immediate cause of his troubles may have been his divorce with divorce from his first wife, the daughter of King Aretaeus IV, ruler of another province, because he spurned his own daughter to marry Herodias. So they went to war and Herod narrowly escaped getting wiped out. Then, one of Herod's nephews, another Herod that we see later in the New Testament, Herod Agrippa, not Herod Agrippa I, not King Agrippa, which is later, never mind. Um, Herod Agrippa 
is named King of Judea, a title that Herod Antipas really wanted for himself. Tetrarch is okay, but it's good to be king. So he went to Rome where there was a new, new Caesar in town who happened to be good friends with his nephew Herod Agrippa. So he exiled Herod Antipas. And that's where he and Herodias spent their last days. Not allowed to be in their own land. We also have hope based on a regime change. But it's not just a new king, a new tetrarch, a new president. It's not switching one Herod for another. But we have hope because we are welcomed in and we participate in the coming kingdom of God. Jesus is coming again and when he does, he will restore all things. There will be justice. The weak and the vulnerable will be well cared for. There will be righteousness. Corruption, evil dealing will cease. Everything will be as it should be. The 12th century English Christian mystic Julian of Norwich said all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things shall be well. To be a Christian to be a follower of Jesus is to know that another world is possible because we have seen it. We've experienced in part the kingdom of God, the reign of Christ among us, and we know that it's coming in its fullness. We are called to be faithful witnesses, like John, truth-tellers in troubled times. We stand where we are in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of a corrupt world, with the strong hope that God has a plan for us. And it will come to pass. And so, I came to tell you about a dead man. John lived as he died, his life staked on the promise of God. You've heard some of his life and we, we can and should learn from his example. But I also want to commend to you his disciples. At the end of this passage, John is dead. The world is a terrible place. And John's disciples, after they had gathered up their, their master and buried him, they go to Jesus. John was the Elijah that came before to proclaim the coming of Christ Jesus. His disciples go to their once, the, to their to the hope of Israel, to the hope of the nations, to the hope of all humanity. They went to the person who will one day come back and put the world to rights. 
May we trust in this Jesus with all our life and not wait for another. Let me pray for us. God, we live in the tension of people being used, people being maltreated, in a world where the innocent suffer and die. And we groan, How long, O Lord? How long? And yet, Lord, we have also seen your kingdom come. And we long for the day when injustice would cease, when righteousness will rule again on the earth. We long for the reign of Christ. Teach us, Lord, to go to you. and to trust you in all things. In your name I pray. Amen.